Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Drawing Room Experts. This is your host, Naveed Siddiqui, and it's it's been a while that I haven't done this kind of an episode. It's It's been a long, long time, and today it's going to be about another movie. And uh, the movie in question is the, the recently released Dune. And with me to discuss the film, I have once again with me Mr. Ali Sattar, which I, and it's almost been a year it's been a while Levi how 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 have you been how how's everything hello Naveed I'm I'm good it's it's been busy and it's been quite hectic this year and I can't believe mm-hmm. we went almost an entire year without doing an episode but it's good yeah. to be on the show and it's good to be talking to you man you tell how have you been good good you know just been a busy year to be honest, it's like a lot of stuff happening in the family, work-wise too, and you know, with COVID and everything, it's just been pretty hectic. But finally, you know, things are settling down, even even in here in the US. So, um, just been busy yeah, with yeah. work, watching movies, shows, you know, the usual. But it's been good. How about that? I'm I'm glad I'm glad to hear that. You're uh, same, pretty much on the same lines. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been working on something that almost you know, took my last year, uh, I've been working on something long format narrative, 45 minutes, no, uh, potentially a series. We have shot the pilot for it. And, oh, amazing. Uh, the pilot, yeah, the pilot is done and now we are actually in the process of uh, pitching it to corporates. Oh, and uh, pretty pretty exciting stuff, man. And um, something on the lines of uh, surreal, mystery, thriller, mm-hmm. uh, anthology. So each episode is going to be a different story. Oh, that that's always a fun project. I think anthologies are always great. And are you targeting just? Um, the Pakistani producer, are you, are you trying to trying to you know target other media outlets? We are trying anything that you know is first of all has the appetite yeah, for something sense. like this. Yeah, have has the appetite to make something commission something like this coming out from Pakistan because abhi tak is tarang ki company nahi hai and. Um, okay. At the same time, you know, we also don't want to compromise on the quality and the integrity of the product. Mm-hmm. So that's true. Yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty interesting, and uh, I, I really hope that it uh, gets picked up soon so that we can inshallah. share it. Uh, I I can't wait, man. Yeah, absolutely. Now, inshallah, it's it's gonna go great. And knowing you, you know, and I've seen your work, inshallah, it's 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 definitely gonna be. Doing good. I'm, I'm excited. I can't wait to see, um, you know, whenever you're ready to show what it is, uh, and that's that's really exciting. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank so, um, Dune. I mean, what a movie! Like, oh man, I, <laughs> exactly, yeah. exactly. And uh, to be honest, this is something that I've been really, really looking forward to. I'm a huge mm-hmm. Dennis Villeneuve fan. Yeah, he's and. Uh, since since uh, the first film that I saw of his, I think it was Prisoners, probably. Oh yes, oh, Prisoners, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 
man. I've been a fan of his, uh, you know, aesthetic sense in terms of mm. that, you know, less is more, and he's he he does a lot of work, you know, which is in the undertones and the subtleties of the narrative. Yeah, where you know you have to figure things out, and he plays a lot with, especially in the film. Um, I enemy. Mean, there, there is a enemy. Yeah, enemy. Yeah, yeah. One of my yeah. favorite yeah. films. Mm-hmm. He deals with a lot of you know magical realism, and magical mm-hmm. realism is sort of my thing. In fact, the series that I'm working on also has a bit of. Oh, that's amazing. Uh, elements of magical realism in it. Oh, so, awesome. That's nice. Yeah. So Dennis is my. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he 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 specializes in that, especially in like as you said, right, with his films, as the symbolisms that he has, and a lot of the what he shows is left for interpretation, which I love. Like especially um, enemy me, right? If you see all that symbolism with the spiders and everything, that that's just you know, there's a lot for you for the audience themselves to figure out what's happening in the film, and it's it's. I love when directors do that, you know, where where they let audiences figure out stuff and 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 the images that they put up to speak for themselves. Yeah, so yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Enemy and even in Arrival, I mean, the yeah, way... Arrival is a brilliant film. One of my yeah. favorite from like one of my favorite alien films, I'd say. Like that was like an alien film done right. Yeah, and at the heart of it, I don't think. Even it is an alien. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. That, that that's true. About a person going through some mm-hmm. major revelation and, and discovering something within themselves that they did not know they were capable of. Capable of, yeah. So it it it's to and the relationship with the daughter and the relationship with themselves and the relationship mm-hmm. with time itself. So I think it's much more than an alien film, and if yeah, you look definitely. at the run, you know, uh, the way I look at it, the alien thing is sort of like a subplot. Subplot, yeah, definitely. What is, actually, yeah. Mm-hmm. what is actually the crux of the story? So mm-hmm. yeah, Dennis Murshid, जो हैं हमारे वो बड़े इस मामले में अच्छा by the way, can we speak bilingual or be strictly? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's okay. Yeah, speak bilingual. It's okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. So yeah, uh, when I heard that he was going to make Dune, and even though uh, I haven't read the book, I I, I actually am starting to read the book. Uh, oh, the book, right? From... That's nice. I started the book two days ago, oh, but uh, I heard it's a pretty yeah. big book too. So, yeah, 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 it is. It is mm-hmm. pretty dense and has like five volumes. Oh wow! And yeah, but I think the movie is just based on the first one, the first book. Yeah. And uh, so I was pretty excited because I had heard that this is something that it was famous that this is that sort of a book that cannot be filmed. You know that uh, mm. that can not be condensed into a movie, and movie. David Lynch did that. And, yeah, he uh, tried. He tried, and I mean, uh, when I mean, he, he, he made, made it, it and I, it went like sixty-five. No, no, nineteen eighty-three or eighty-three. Yeah, yeah. No, the book was sixty-five. The movie was eighty-three. I think. Yeah, yeah. The book. Yeah, the book came out. So yeah. yeah. Uh, I, 
and uh, David Lynch being a very prolific uh, filmmaker. Mm. Oh yes. I mean, he still is, but उस ज़माने में तो I mean, yeah, can, yeah. उस ज़माने what he did was so pretty good. Yeah, वो what, uh, what he had. For Nolan, he was like the Christopher Nolan of that time. Exactly. Uh, if that makes sense, but uh, mm. yeah, and he was like. Uh, you know his work with the razor head and you know he was his uh, you know surrealism ke upar unki kafi grasp thi to khair without going too much into that but i was mm-hmm. very excited and uh, the the i saw i've seen the film twice and uh, yeah. the first time i saw it i was in moscow and mm-hmm. uh, over there i i wanted to see the film in imax but like sadly it was it was all booked so i watched mm-hmm. it in a regular theater mm-hmm. and i was blown away by the visuals and the sound and the music and the sound design because the film opens with uh, these throat singing yeah very yeah deep. Hymns, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and it is sort of a voice over that you know uh, i think uske niche kuch likha hua tha ki dreams uh, are from the from deep no uh, yeah the dreams the, are messages from the deep messages from the deep so yeah and so the first thing that you hear is sound yeah so this is a very deliberate choice that directors make and you know kubrick used to do that mhm Uh, with the, uh, a lot of his films that the film yeah. used to open with sound sound yeah you know 2001 space odyssey ki i think shoot oh, yeah. mm-hmm. ek minute jo hai wo is just sounds sound so, yeah yeah exactly so mm-hmm. the, and it's a very deliberate choice the reason mm-hmm. filmmakers do that is that when you're sitting inside a theater so they're preparing you for a world building that is going to invite you and overwhelm you in a way uh, that you know uh, that should take over your entire sense of yeah. space ki aap jahan baithe hue imagine that you are now in that world yeah and the people who who have seen dune on imax 3d they actually say that it's the way it's shot it's so immersive that you actually feel that you are within that world yeah. yeah yeah so shoot me you know from the very first frame you get the sense of uh impending doom ke kuch hone wala hai it's a yeah. very intense feeling yeah. and uh, uh, you know then then the very first images that you see is of arrakis this the sand planet yeah. which also called dune uh, because mm-hmm. uh, there's nothing on it except for sand yeah so you know that that frame just takes you in and prepares you of what is about to come yeah it sets and the tone really well for the whole film this, i think yeah 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 so uh, i think what what we can do is uh, before we start off with the film because it the film heavily relies and takes elements from what was happening in the world uh, when Frank Herbert the American writer who wrote uh, okay. the book Dune 
uh, a very powerful uh, house in the Galactic Empire called the Harkonnen House, and uh, they are put there on this planet on the orders of the Emperor, and uh, they, they they face resistance by the native uh, population of the planet, who are known as the Fremen. Fremen, yeah. And, Fremen are the indigenous people of uh, Arrakis, and they live in uh, these cave-like uh, structures. Uh, and I think they, they, those structures are called sieges, if I'm not wrong. Yeah, sieges. And uh, yeah, and uh, the 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 similarities between the Fremen and the people who live in Middle East are very very very, yeah. very apparent. And uh, mm -hmm. Kalibar, uh, yeah, even, even the, the skin tone, like if you like, even in the book, they were mentioned as having you know brown skin and you know just just made to look a lot like the people from the Middle East. So that yeah. that was a heavy influence, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's it's from the very first, uh, you know, scene. It's very apparent that it's clearly. A parallel to, you know, what what is happening, happening, yeah, in the world, and, and whoever is basically in charge of harvesting melange is has everything, right? They're yeah. the strongest at that point. So, which kind of parallels to again, uh, black gold, right? Oil uh, at that time, and so, yep, you see those parallels as well. Yeah, and you know the. Uh, not only that, uh, the, there's a heavy influence of Islam in the book. And oh yes, names as well, like a lot of the names and yeah. yeah. Language, mm -hmm. the Arabic words that are used in the film. Yeah. Uh, you know, they, they are heavily inspired by some of the religious uh, elements in Islam. Yeah. Uh, that's That's very interesting because Introducing such concepts in sixties to uh, you know an American reader audience, where you know there were already so many misconceptions about the Middle East, mm -hmm. and uh, as we know that Middle East has always been vilified from yeah. the American perspective in one way or the other, because that's what you do once you know once you want to. Uh, Pillage someone's resources. The first thing that you do is remove empathy. You vilify them. So uh, that's that's exactly what is happening on Arrakis as well. That you know, Fremen yeah. are always shown in the light that they're savages, that they are uncivilized, and yeah. they're backward, and they're not trustworthy, and they're you know primitive cave dwellers and there's also sort of a derogatory remark in the film that you know yeah. and uh, the duke asks one of his uh, commanders that what is this saying over here and he goes like if you want to take a shower you have to scrub your ass with sand yeah so, because, uh, and that 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 uh, derogatory remark was not lost on me because the voice has always used the word sand monkeys for people living in the Middle East. Yep. So I think that was also an illusion that how the powerful house of Estrides 
looks down upon the people of uh, Rakis. Yeah. Uh, and that irony comes later in the film <laughs> that we will discuss <laughs> later. Yeah. So basically, I think uh, now that we have talked about the background of uh, the film and the book, mm-hmm. I think let's let's start off with the the movie step by step. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. Let's go for it. So. you know once we establish that uh, what is happening on Arrakis we are taken directly into uh, the plot where uh, you know the the house estrides which lives on uh, i think caladan yeah the name of the planet i think so Caladan. as far as i remember yeah yeah so and they are being uh, ordered by the emperor, the emperor yeah. they should now be the caretakers uh, of the planet rakis and they will be harvesting the spice mm-hmm. and uh, you know we see that the emperor has sent uh, his representatives and amongst them is also uh an old lady dressed in complete black at this point we don't know who this lady is but as the film Seems takes further yeah yeah find out that she not only is a very important character but also plays a very keen uh role in driving the narrative forward yeah so uh the house of stories Uh, as honorable as they are they agree to the call of the emperor and they officially sign the document and uh, we find out that the duke is preparing his son uh, his only son paul yeah. uh, to be his successor there is a sense of you know it seems that the duke has some idea that he is being sent to a planet which poses a lot of threat and it could yeah. be something that can challenge the you know the position of their house and so I, he I think another thing that the, he really shows on purpose is the stark difference to the mm-hmm. basic landscape of a tra- you know the uh, what's yeah. the planet's name um I think Arrakis right for yeah yeah the how like completely opposite it is from where they're going right their life is going to basically flip a com- yeah. you know do a complete 180 because it's it's like the arakis is completely you know with mountains and um these beautiful valleys and oceans and then you have dune it, like it's, it's just it. a whole big mass of sand so yeah, yeah. that's yeah, another yeah. Yeah, I think one more thing I think we should also mention is like when they before this they also introduce a very important aspect of the film which is the the visions mm. that Paul has because yeah. that's the very first like me me not not knowing anything about the the story or I haven't seen the uh, previous movie as well so the opening line of the film right where it says dreams are the messages from the deep right and 
then the main, the protagonist, the first thing that we see is actually some visions that he has while he's sleeping, right? And for me, that kind of connected right away mm. with the very first line that was said at mm. the opening of the film, that dreams are a message from the deep. And I was like, okay, so this is this has to do some with something else. This is these are not just visions or dreams. This is this is actually something connecting. And what that deep is, you know, that's left up uh, for us to you know, find out as the movie progresses. I think that's another thing that was really important at the, you know, at the, at the start of the yeah. film. Because it gives us a direct insight of, first of all, it introduces us to the protagonist. Mm-hmm. And secondly, it introduces us to the struggle that the protagonist is going through because, uh, and then again, there is, you know, this religious, uh, symbolism that if people are aware of it that you know uh, there's a thing in uh, screenplay writing is called the hero's journey so mm. the first thing that uh, you know is part of the hero's journey is that he is either being introduced or either he is being uh, pushed or either he is being instigated to his call to journey and uh, uh, you know over here the call to his journey are his dreams yeah and uh, uh, the very first thing that we see is that he is sitting on the table with his mother and uh, he mentions the dreams and the first thing that she you know sort of asks him is to use the voice and uh, the, vo- the voice is basically, uh, in order to describe what the voice is, Paul's mother belongs to the sisterhood uh, called the Benny Gesserit. Benny Gesserit, yeah. Yeah, Benny Gesserit, uh, this word is also derived from Arabic, Benny as in bunny. Bunny, Bunny is right. Bunny is right, yeah. So it means that the house of, Gesserit, yeah, family yeah. of, uh, so Benny Jesuit means and Jesuit ka main dekha tha ke it mm-hmm. means jizr uh, uh, it comes from the Arabic word jizr and it means mm-hmm. uh, I think if I'm not mistaken uh, bridge or okay. uh, a link of some sort so okay Jesuit oh uh, yeah makes sense Just, okay yeah mm-hmm. uh, so so if you roughly translate it so it the house of connections, the basically. house that <laughs> links things mm. together or the house that builds bridges. bridges. So the the purpose of this uh, secret uh, society order and uh, and it's all women. It's a sisterhood yeah. of women, uh, and there are no men in it. That mm. they have certain uh, supernatural abilities, and mm. they. they uh, not only practice but learn and uh, transfer these abilities to their uh, members and another important role that the Beni district play in the you know in the empire galactic empire is that they also uh, are in connection with the empire uh, with the emperor, emperor and yeah. they also, they they also uh, very carefully 
uh, interbreed uh, in uh, different um, uh, family bloodlines. Yes. Uh-huh. And we later find out that what is the, the reason for uh, this careful breeding of bloodline and it's it's referred in the movie that they plan thousand years in advance. Yeah. So, right. so very calculated, very secretive, very deep state kind of an organization uh, or, uh, you know, a servant to be precise that operates in the shadows. And then again, the symbolism is over here is of deep state that, yeah. you know, works in the real world as well. So Paul's mother is part of Benninger's writ and uh, they have this ability where they can manipulate people to do whatever they want by using the voice. And sort of Paul's mother, yeah, sort of mind control. Uh, hmm. And Paul's mother has been teaching Paul to use the voice to manipulate. And the very first thing that we see is that on breakfast table, she is uh, asking Paul to use the voice, which he sort of does, but fails because he's still learning. Learning, yeah. So, <clears throat> from the very get-go, the film introduces us to what is happening, who mm-hmm. is the protagonist, uh, and there's also not only the protagonist, but the protagonist's mother also plays an important role in his journey. And we later see that uh, uh, now that uh, Paul's father, the Duke, has agreed to go on Arrakis, so there are ships who are already, who, who have been already sent to Arrakis to sort of like on fact-finding missions yeah. to make contact with the Yeah, and this is when we see Jason Momoa's character returning back from Arrakis and uh, we immediately find out that uh, his character is sort of uh, like a mentor to Paul and uh, not only a mentor but a very good friend and a protector of the family. Mm -hmm. Yeah and he's also Paul's teacher who is teaching him combat and uh, because Paul is supposed to uh, lead House Stratus. He's also being taught combat by Josh Brolin's character. I forget the name of I the think, character. Is it was it the command? No, the commander? Oh no, I can't. I can't, can't remember. Yeah. Sort of skipped my mind. I think thoda some mushkil sa naam tha. Ah, oh, uh, is film mein zyadaar mushkili naam the, including the director's yeah, yeah. name. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The, if if. if the first time you watch the film, actually, it's, it's very difficult to, you know, Keep a track. Uh, remember the name. Yeah, yeah, remember the name of the characters and stuff. So we find out that he is not only being trained in uh, supernatural abilities by his mother, he's also being trained hand to hand of his father by two very powerful warriors. And over there, Josh Brolin character tells Paul that, you know, uh, you have to fight like a warrior because I've fought the Harkonnens and they're brutal. Yeah. And if you were in combat, you wouldn't stand a chance. And I think by he that time... He kind something going on too. Like, I think his character kind of knew that they were, you know, stepping into something yeah. that's not going to be yeah. pleasant for them. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. The overall mood of the film is that there is a sense of impending doom. Okay, कुछ होने वाला है. Yeah. And that is, uh, you know, beautifully uh, complemented by this amazing score by Hans Zimmer. Oh. And yeah. I think this is the right time to discuss the, you know, the auditory experience oh, the, that you feel brilliant. during the cinema. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I, you, you know that. a movie like Hans Zimmer is going to do an amazing job when he rejects Christopher Nolan for a different project <laughs> so yeah cuz if he's saying no to Christopher Nolan to do dune you know he's going to come up with something amazing and that's exactly what he did he's like um from what i was reading uh denny he he had been wanting to make the film since he was 14 when he first read the book and yeah. when he approached Hans Zimmer and he was like I've always been a big fan of the film and I wanted to score Dune forever and now you know he was like yeah so he just said no to Nolan and did this and uh, I am so glad that he did because the score is just yeah mind blowing yeah scores mind blowing and oh, design you know? sound design be Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, the overall sound, the overall yeah. auditory experience is just completely yeah. overwhelming. And uh, uh, manager, I recently saw it in Karachi the second time. Yeah. And uh, this time I was sitting much closer to the, the screen, and that was on purpose because I, the the first time that I saw it in Moscow, I was a little bit behind. Okay. So I sound ka issue tha. So mujhe wo itni sound. you know uh wasn't attract yeah ah it wasn't that loud and yeah. i was watching an interview of hans zimmer mm-hmm. and he exactly said the same thing that if you want to experience tune in its entirety then you need to have bigger speakers because and, yeah. you know you need to be in a theater that is properly properly equipped to give you that experience because experience, he yeah. designed the whole sound on uh, you know on the protocols of dolby atmos and mm-hmm. it's a technology where you know uh, the sound is much more richer and it's well, multi directional so dolby atmos comes... is just amazing i've seen a few movies yeah. with dolby atmos and it's it's just a whole different experience yeah yeah and it's a very immersive experience to you know uh, invite the the viewer into this world and i think uh, especially with this film i think 60% of the emotions that you feel is because of the music and the sound design absolutely because hanima has done like always an amazing job and i was you know reading up uh, his interview that he had designed themes for not only uh each house and each character but he had also designed themes that would overlap once those two characters would interact interact yeah and about <laughs> that mm-hmm. yeah yeah and that is something that you don't notice the first time you watch the film but mm-hmm. second time you notice uh you know when you watch you, you notice that there is a very subtle thing going on where he is playing with your mind yeah. or rather instigating emotions which you know where where even you're not aware of that why am i feeling like this because mm-hmm. it completely overwhelms you and uh, there's a theme of each 
I mean, for example, on when we when you know when we are on planet Caladan, uh, uh, mm-hmm. the the theme of house is Australia. Australia is is very conventional. You know, it's yeah. very uh, uh, conventional in a sense. कि बड़े उसमें conventional instruments used हुए हुए. Yeah. But when you uh, see uh, you know the Harkonnens, it's very mm-hmm. drum like. और उसमें बड़ी बड़ी वो जो एक ट्राइबल वॉरियर and it sort of puts you in that space that you know it's it's sort of preparing you that the characters or the visuals that you see mm-hmm. on screen they they you know they 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 have their own significance in a way and yeah, this... i think majority of the time i think the sound is driving the narrative forward which that's what i loved quite... about this film like Yeah. I love the fact that Villeneuve was not he didn't spoon feed everything to the audience right from yeah including the whole background of families like he didn't go too deep in it he yeah. he gave us enough for us to kind of extrapolate you know whatever we can figure out what kind of a family or you know the, a certain family is just through the music just through the little dialogues that he's provided us right and and that's what i loved about this like you can you know the you get the sense of what kind of a family this is or what kind of a planet this is just by what's going what's being shown and what's being heard by the audience which is such a brilliant way to you know bring a world to life yeah 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 and and uh the best part about it is that uh, once you there is a scene in the beginning and <clears throat> you know we might be jumping back and forth but no, since no, we're talking yeah. um, uh there's a scene when um, uh i think the guy who is sort of uh, the baron's uh oh the there or something he the 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 thin slender looking guy he yeah, yeah, is yeah. visiting uh, the sadukar they they are, they are the emperor's army and over there we hear this uh, throat singing kind of a sound and i think it's we later it's, find out that's wo kahan se hota hai that's how they speak wo i think it's it's inspired by the mongolian mongolian yeah mongolian chant hota hai Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, Ram, okay. Oh, Nam Jo Ringe Kyor. That, that, the whole chant. That's what it reminded me of. The, the, yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it's very powerful. The sound. It is. You know? It is. And I think it starts off with that. The movie starts off with that. Starts chant. off with. Yeah. yeah. It starts with that. So. Kind of tells. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. It it sort of tells you that because they are. known to be the emperor's army mm-hmm. and they they are very uh, powerful and they're very skillful and they're very brutal warriors so the language that they speak is also very guttural and it's also very mm-hmm. 
you know overpowering overwhelming kind of language that they speak sounds very so, hard oh, yeah sounds very harsh and it also gives you view that what kind of people they are because sound yeah. is giving you much more information because aapke paas time kam hai so exactly. you know it's also a very good way for exposition through sound which is a very intelligent use mm-hmm. of you know sound design yeah and uh, so yeah o- the overall uh, experience of sound is it's done brilliantly oh yes absolutely. so brings a whole yeah. new so i think uh, layer to it gone mhm go ahead you were saying something No, no. Um, I just said it just adds a whole new layer to the whole storytelling uh, formula, right? It's it's just so well done. I think they nailed the yeah. sound, music, everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So once we are introduced to these characters, we are introduced to the character of the Baron Harkonnen, who is uh, the leader of the House Harkonnen, and he mm-hmm. is played by Stellan uh, Skarsgård. Yeah. Then Sir Johan Alexander ke walid hain Alexander Skarsgård ke if I'm not Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah, brilliant actor. Oh yes. And uh, Swedish, right? He, He's done a few Swedish films as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. Uh, I think a perfect choice. Oh yes. To showcase uh, a I... villain that is not only formidable but mm. is also very powerful and he is this huge guy. you know was extremely fat and the first reveal of that character is that mm. he is in a steam bath or he's taking steam yeah, yeah. and he has a bald head and his this huge meaty hand full of fat yeah goes ke bald head se niche aata and if you if if there are any apocalypse now fans listening yeah, to this yeah exactly it was exa- i was just going to say that it's exactly like marlin uh, brand right so it was yeah. it, it was basically an easter egg there are like a couple of scenes of his that yeah. kind of uh, meant, yeah, yeah. kind of reflect apocalypse now but yeah yeah so that is a direct homage to marlin brando's character mm. and i think i was reading up on it that uh the makeup artist who uh you made this entire yeah. design look of Baron Harkonnen mm-hmm. uh he his inspiration was also Marlon Brando from a fact yeah, yeah. apocalypse that this very mm-hmm. powerful character who is uh you know always in the shadows we never see Baron Harkonnen in like broad daylight uske jitne bhi scenes are always shown in shadows yes his face is the partially revealed or his face is partially let yeah, but at the same time you cannot make out you know and he has these deep black eyes very powerful yeah. eyes that are not only conveying uh, the 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 ruthlessness of this villain yeah. but they also convey the control the kind of control the kind of dominance this character demands in a frame and i think it stellan just played it beautifully i mean oh, it gives you chill when you see him on screen yeah and especially when he levitates in the air and he says my oh, yeah. arrakis my doom and he's floating in the air 
because he has this anti gravity device on his back mm. and it's just a very powerful image yeah the whole, the scale. whole image is very it is yeah. it is yeah. So by this time we are introduced by all the main characters, mm. and uh, we see that the house of Strades is uh, landing on Arrakis in the huge ships, and uh, over here a little nod to the production design. I really like the the idea of spaceships that don't look anything like you know we have seen yeah. spaceships. Film. Mm. They're very blocky and they're very chunky, and it almost looks like a Soviet-era architecture. The, the yeah. you know the architecture of brutalism, and mm. it looked like blocks and chunks rather than elegant design spaceships that yeah. we are not yeah. accustomed to seeing in sci-fi films. So mm. this is something that I really like, and you get to see the scale of the ships that how huge they are. When, yeah, that yeah, humongous. The people emerge from them, and as soon as they emerge, we see that uh, the 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 indigenous people of Arrakis uh, they are dressed in something that exactly looks like a burqa, yeah. and and uh, you know they look exactly like how people in the Middle East would dress up. And uh, that's the first parallel, visual parallel that you see as yeah. audience. Uh, they are also uh, repeating the same word again and again in Arabic. Uh, yeah, what was what, that? What was that? I think. It was Shai uh, Hulud. No, 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 no. Oh, that, they, they no, that's, that's the yeah. That's the worm. Uh, mm. They, they. I think they, they're talking about uh, Paul's name for the, which is, uh, you know, they, they're talking about the prophecy that. Prof yeah, 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 yeah. I, I can't exactly. They, I know. They, yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe mm -hmm. loves Nikhil Nikhil, yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm like I can, I have it in yeah, my so, mind. Ah, uh, exactly. So mm -hmm. they, they. They're chanting these words in Arabic, which means that uh, that the prophecy is about to be fulfilled, that uh, uh, a savior or a messiah mm. uh, will come that will, you know, liberate the people of Arrakis from oppressors because Arrakis has been a place where oppressors come and go. And yeah. we later find out in the film that that has been the case. First, it was Harkonnens, and now the House Estratus is there to replace Harkonnens. Uh, and that's what the people see, uh, you know, the Duke as. They see him as another oppressor. Yeah. And uh, we see that they come, they're greeted by the, the military commander who is already on the planet, and he takes... Paul and Paul's mother in a helicopter, like uh, you which know, is a really cool aircraft. design again. Yeah, really, really cool. It looks like a dragonfly. Uh, dragonfly. Yeah. Yeah. And so yeah, so we see that. 
And you since know. we were talking about uh, parallels, right? I think the savior that these guys mention is also called Mahdi. Yeah. So but that's another. Term, yeah, but this term uh, is used later in the film. Yeah. The yeah. word Mahdi. Uh, but uh, Paul's asking what what they are saying, and the mother replies that you know they're talking about you, mm. savior, and. Uh, she immediately says the Beni Gesserit have been at work over here, which is uh, a nod that, you know, because Beni Gesserit operate from the shadows and they also manipulate information and they also, yeah. you know, uh, uh, maintain the status quo in the Imperium. So they have probably been here as well, training the fem- Fremen about the arrival of uh, this supposed savior or messiah. Savior. Mm-hmm. And uh, and we see the the first aerial shots of the planet, the desert planet and the vastness of the desert. Mm. And we later see that where, uh, you know, the house is residing and, you know, there are a lot of problems with the infrastructure, yeah. the, the machines. Yeah, and there's obviously a challenge that they have to face in order to harvest the spice. And we later find out that Paul is learning about the planet, and he's learning about the Fremen, and he's learning about the ecology of the planet and the wildlife. And we see that there is a small uh, mosquito-like. Drone, I would say that is yeah, it, yeah, yeah. That is spy drone, basically. Him. That is mm-hmm. spy drone. Yeah, mm-hmm. and we later find out that there was a Harkonnen uh, already in the walls that was controlling the drone. The drone, yeah. And so they're already trying to assassinate. Um, yeah, already trying to assassinate Paul. And Paul, yeah. this is where we see that you know the shit is getting real. <laughs> and <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, and the Duke is furious. He commands his, uh, you know, head of uh, military to find out what is happening, and he decides to meet the person who has been left in charge of all the operations. And uh, mm-hmm. I think she is the ecologist. Who ecologist, is... and I think she like in the book, uh, it was a male, and they changed yeah. the character to a female uh, in the film. Yeah, and a female black uh, woman. Yes, yeah. Also... I think I think one more thing we should also mention is uh, the, the 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 visions that Paul has. Um, a lot of them has this girl that is the, this character which is played by Zendaya, right? And mm-hmm. I think most of the visions till then are of her, him being with her, right? Yeah. Up till that yeah. point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that so, is also. Sorry, continue. that that they're like they're doing it for a purpose, I guess. You know, to just to introduce her character too, because it seems to be a very, very important character to Paul. And uh, the visions kind of show them being romantically involved as well. So, and and he has no idea who she is. 
So, and but she is dressed as the Fremen from what yeah. we see from the visions. So that is another really interesting thing that is happening as we see different visions that Paul is ha- uh, having throughout this whole this whole time. But yeah, continue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and that I mean. Now they were talking about the visions. Uh, that is also a very interesting narrative device because Paul is uh, seeing multiple realities. Yeah, that was that we, that was interesting. Like yeah, that timelines. Was interesting. Yeah. yeah, that was interesting because it's also is being used uh, intentionally uh, by the director to sort of misdirect the audience as well. The audience where things can go yeah yeah where things can go and where things are going but somehow they change course so mm. uh, in early uh, the first part of the film Paul's vision are you know we we are seeing the character of Chani uh, or Shani whatever her name is yeah for now yeah. Uh, and we just see that he is dreaming about this girl with blue eyes and their bare glimpses. He has no idea who this girl is, mm-hmm. but uh, all he knows that she's a Fremen and she is from Arrakis, but he has never met her. And as Paul, uh, Paul's vision, you know, the, the, the frequency of his visions uh, increases, he starts seeing more of her and uh, you know, then he starts seeing himself with Shani's character that he he's also with her and they're together yeah. and they're both dressed in those Fremen suits, you know, that, that, that uh, you know, are necessary to survive on Arrakis. Yeah. And so, so again, if, if you, if you look at Dennis Villeneuve's treatment of the narrative, he mm-hmm. is using something similar what, what he did in uh, Arrival. Yeah. That you're seeing the past, the future, and the present at the same present. time. But yeah, that's yeah. true. And this is sort of also what Paul's uh, character Motib, uh is is supposed to be. That he his mm. his mother Jessica tells him that if if you are what we have been waiting for, then you have the power. To transcend time, you you mm-hmm. you know you can not only look, but you can also operate in past, present, and future. In the future, you, know, yeah. you can transcend time, and you can bring uh, you know uh, a change in the mm-hmm. in, in the Imperium and the universe, and you can bring peace. And this is something you know which is a big deal. Yeah, uh, because even in future, when humans have progressed and they have you know, inhibited other planets. Mm-hmm. The desire for power and the desire for people with power to be corrupted is very much similar to what they were yeah. before they invented space travel and you know all those other things. So I think the deeper message of of the film and the book is that human beings, regardless of how advanced uh, they might become. Yeah. The inherent need to possess something, or the inherent to, uh, you know, control 
کہانی آگے بڑھتی ہے اور ہم پلانٹ کو ایکسپلور کرتے ہیں and she mutters under her breath that you know she he might be the mother yeah the, the name for paul's character on arrakis and they see, go to yeah. see these harvesting fields and we see that there is a harvester there and uh, that's the first time we get to see a glimpse of a worm which is known as shailud on the planet Uh, and this name is used by the fremen to mm-hmm. refer to these worms and these worms are huge yeah and we they're see almost this like they almost like worship these things too right they're, they're like yeah 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 there is a religious element there is this uh reverence uh that is associated with these worms and i think yeah. more, more of it will be dealt into the second part of the film second part uh, of it yeah yeah and i think it's intentionally uh you know missed i mean there is this unhone hint kiya is taraf they have alluded hmm. to it yeah but they made it very obvious that they worship these worms these worms yeah uh, yeah so that's the first time we see a huge worm advancing towards one of the harvesters and the device that is supposed to pick harvester up from the the sand dunes is faulty and then the duke decides that you know he has to get all okay. these people off the ship and this is the first time that paul is exposed to the spice uh, because he gets out to save the people and this is when he has his first sort of like a psychedelic trip yeah uh, when he's hallucinating on the spice and he sees these visions which again he sees uh, uh you know zendaya's character and some other characters who were fremen and mm-hmm. he also hears these voices from beni jesret these whispering voices and um, i think you know, that sort thing of sees jamas for the first time too right yeah 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 mm-hmm. yeah and uh, while he is hallucinating he forgets that you know he is supposed to be back to the ship and josh brolin's character comes and saves him uh and puts him back into the ship and uh, you know the the we see that the gradual transformation of paul's character has now is on its peak the transformation yeah. has begun and we also see that uh you know house astridis uh is uh you know they're not safe on the planet and whatever has been left on the planet is you know it's not good enough to harvest spice so the duke immediately senses that and in the very 
Yeah. Next they come back, he tells Paul to be careful and he the next scene when he is talking to uh, yes. Paul's mother, mm-hmm. Jessica, mm-hmm. Uh, which is also we should mention that they are not married. Yeah, uh, yeah. Jessica is Duke's concubine, and yeah. uh, uh, and he later admits that you know he should have married. Should have married uh, her. Mm. Married her, and, and uh, he flat out asks her that you should. Uh, promised me that he will protect Paul and he asked her not only as Paul's mother but as Bene Gesserit because he knows that uh, the Bene Gesserit they have the power to protect not only Jessica but also by extension Paul as well yeah and uh, we again get this sense that he knows something is going to happen and mm-hmm. uh, Lo and behold, and the next scene we see that you know there 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 is a covert operation. Operation, yeah. And while you know uh, it's nighttime and everybody's sleeping, the Harkonnens come and they just wreak havoc, basically. <laughs> yeah, they just wreak havoc, and there are these huge explosions, and you know the shields that protect uh, you know the entire house and the you know the people who were there they're you know they're deactivated and we later find out that they deactivated by one of their doctors who was mm. who was doing it on the orders of the, the baron harkonnen yeah he's trying to save his wife who's basically yeah, yeah. being held captain yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah so khair bahase Paul and his mother are held captive, and now they're being taken into the desert. While the Duke is put in sort of a comatose state, where he yeah. is awake, alive, but he cannot move. And this is the first time we see, you know, that now that they've taken control and killed everyone, uh, all the soldiers and everyone, the basically the entire. Army of House Estratus that was on Arrakis. The Duke is lying naked, uh, half conscious, and the Baron, uh, you know, uh, the Doctor is brought forth, and you know he kills him, obviously because mm-hmm. you know he yeah. had killed his wife earlier. And over there, we find out that the Duke has this tooth. Inside his mouth that contains this powerful poison, poison gas, yeah, and yeah, poisonous gas, and uh, you know when he bites on it, everybody in the room dies, and you know the Baron is sort of also semi-protected because of the shield that he <laughs> activates before talking to him, and uh, but we later find out that you know or outside. Intercuts may both seen each other where Paul and his mother are being taken out in the desert to be left alone or to be pushed off the plane rather, so that you know, because the Baron has given word to the Benny Jester that he won't kill Jessica and uh, Paul. Paul, oh, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And over there, we you know we see that uh, Paul. For the very first time, uses his 
power of the voice to control these Harkonnen soldiers and later, you know, they, Jessica uses that voice to, you know, uh, kill these soldiers and then they land in the desert and by that time we see that the whole, you know, city has been pillaged and the trees have been burned and all, all whatever was there is now in shambles. Yeah, I and think uh, only yeah, few survivors and, and I think Jason Momoa's character is one of the uh, yeah. people that survived the yeah. whole assault. Yeah, yeah, he's one of the few people who survives and he immediately goes to one of the Fremen caves where he meets the ecologist. And uh, the ecologist by this time knows uh, that, you know, this was something that was already planned. Planned, yeah. And this was something going to happen, but she doesn't want uh, the Duke and his family. But regardless of that, Jason Momoa is there and we see uh, Paul and his mother there in this sort of tent that protects them from the heat and also conceals them underneath the sand. And over there, Paul realizes that his father is dead. And now him and Jessica are like fugitives on the run being sought by the emperor and uh, the army of Baron Harkonnen. Yeah. And, and the sandworm. <laughs> and the sandworm, yeah. yeah. So the the hero's journey is now in full blown he has been pushed uh, to pursue his call even if he didn't want to and over there that moment is fully realized that when he says that you made me a freak you know yeah. and uh, that is I think a very important scene because uh, like all the heroes he must pursue this journey even if he's not ready for it or even if he is uh, you know it's difficult for him to realize that he is the person who has to bear this immense responsibility and he has sort of an emotional breakdown and but over that emotional breakdown i think they bond as well so i think it's a very well crafted scene because the oh, yeah. mother and son are completely uh, you know, they're overcome with grief, they're vulnerable, they're emotional, Paul is going through some extreme stuff, and over there he's also, while he's going through this emotional breakdown, he's also hallucinating, because yeah. he's saying some some things that he has to protect, you know, the ream and all of that that is going on, He's seems that he's whispering the lines what the Bene Gesserit are whispering, you know. Yeah. And another thing with the, with the mother-son, um, you know, um, Jenka relation, another thing that they, that they found out through his visions that he knew that his mother was pregnant through yeah. his visions because he saw a vision of his mother and the kid dressed as the Fremen with blue eyes. Uh, he saw that vision and that's how he knew that his mom was pregnant and he confronts her about that too so that was another thing you know that added to the whole you know the the relationship of uh the son and the mother so 
yeah, yeah, I think that that was a really nice dimension to it too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, uh, not only that, I mean, he sees himself uh, as mm-hmm. as someone who one day might be leading. You know. Yeah, there's someone. a whole fight sequence, and he sees himself on the battlefield, and we see him yeah. <clears throat> fighting yeah. against yeah. the Harkonnens, and he himself has blue eyes, so it's like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, yeah. And he's dressed in this kick-ass Iron Man-like suit. <laughs> I know. Yeah, yeah that, that was yeah. pretty cool. Um, yeah, that, that, again, another thing about the movie, you know, just, just the design, the costume design, the production design was just beautiful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely beautiful, and something that you know that is that we have never seen before, mm-hmm. and uh, something that is unconventional to sci-fi films because in, mo- in most of the sci-fi films it's very shiny and very yeah, yeah. metallic. And but over here in June, everything is made of fabric and it's very worn yeah. out and it's very rough. I think. One big reason is the lack of AI in this world. From what I read, that there's there are no computers. If you notice, yeah, there are zero yeah, computers yeah. in this world and in this universe. So that's a very that's a very interesting aspect, and that's I think that's also reflected by as you said, you know, the costumes and everything. It's a, so it's very it kept it's kept to the very basics, but it's still every. Every house and every family is in their own way distinctive as well. So it's a, it's a really nice mashup of fiction and, you know, sticking to the basics. Yeah, 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 definitely. Definitely. And the, the reason there is no eye because uh, in, in the back, the background of that story is that once humanity had advanced so much that they had these intelligent thinking Beans. machines that that made things worse for them and there was a huge war and after the war all the machines that were that had the capability of being self-aware were completely banned and uh, even but though the there are computer technology that exists mm. they, the technology is not capable of ai uh, the but humans is is universe mein transformers khatam ho chuke hai computers or AI technology that is capable of uh, navigating these ships uh, in space. So mm-hmm. another aspect where, you know, the, the universe of Dune is very different from the rest of the sci-fi films that rely yeah. heavily on, uh, you know, technology and AI to drive the narrative forward. And I was reading yeah. that, you know, Frank Herbert in his interviews said that he writes science fiction for people who don't want to read science fiction so that that's also mm. a very interesting way that he put very hardcore science fiction narrative 
uh, in a way that is also very easy to not easy but relatively easier to digest for people Grasping, who yeah. might yeah. Be, might not be interested in reading science fiction. Science so I think fiction. that also in the visual narrative of Dune that you know you don't see a lot of machines except for uh, the helicopters. Everything is very uh, it's very believable also. The, the gadgets that they have, yeah, it's something yeah. that, uh, you know, that, that we, we can think that it's possible to have something like that because they're very simplistic in mm-hmm. their design. They're very minimalistic as, yeah. as, as like, you know, one part. Like holograms so, and all these things and the machines, they're like things that, you know, that are easily doable and believable, so. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So once Paul uh, and the mother, you know, they, they shared this traumatic experience while they're in the tent, Paul emerges from the tent and over there I couldn't help but notice the, the visual symbolism that, you know, it sort mm-hmm. of reminded me of uh, in Christianity when uh, Jesus, uh, yeah. you know, after a uh, you know, when he was put on the cross on the mm-hmm. third day or the second day, he emerges out from a cave. Cave, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. He he addressed his followers and he addressed his uh, apostles. So when Paul emerges out from you know underneath the sand, it's sort of symbolic that he is rising from the dead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's he literally comes out of the sand, so it's like he was buried, yeah. And now he has this rebirth because now he knows that he doesn't have a father or any of the allies that protected him. It's he he is on his own, and he not only has to take care of himself, he has to take care of his mother who is now pregnant. So mm. he his his responsibility is sort of doubled now. Yeah, doubled. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And now we see that they sort of, when they come out, they hear a helicopter and we see that it's Jason Momoa's character who has survived and he comes, informs him of his father's death and pledges himself on Paul's hand as the Duke. Yeah. he, I think, gives him uh, Paul's ring as well. Or he, he already has a ring uh, from the letter from the physician, the doctor. I, I'm mm. kidding. So, either way, Paul has this ring and he wears the ring. And uh, Jason's Jason Momoa's character takes uh, Jessica and Paul to one of the sieges where the Fremen, uh, you know, live. And uh, we later find out that they have been spotted by Harkon soldiers and they pursue him. And over there, Jason uh, fights bravely, protecting Paul. And uh, during combat, he dies, but he buys them enough time to, uh, you know, escape the siege with the help of uh, the ecologist. And uh, while Paul and his mother escape on a helicopter, we see the the ecologist is trying to escape through another means, 
but before she manages to escape, she is killed by the soldiers, assassinated by the soldiers. And uh, while Paul and his mother escape on a helicopter, they are being pursued by the soldiers. And Paul deliberately uh, steers the helicopter towards an approaching sandstorm. sandstorm. Which was and a beautiful sandstorm. Yeah, sequence. which looked beautiful. And again, a nod to, you know, the Middle Eastern desert Middle East, and Sahara yeah. desert, mm-hmm. where these storms occur. You know, it's a regular occurrence over there. Mm-hmm. And uh, within that storm, because the winds are, I think, even in the movie it's mentioned, it's 800 miles per hour or something. So it's something like, you know, if you enter the sandstorm, it's impossible that you would survive. Survive, yeah. And, and they fire rockets at him, which I think he sort of dodges, and they're sort of driven away by these high-speed winds. Mm-hmm. But uh, over there, Paul is also having some visions, and he realizes that the only way he can survive these this, this sandstorm is if he lets go of the control. So he lets... You know, he pulls back and he withdraws his hands from the controls. He folds the winds, uh, the wings of this uh, helicopter, mm-hmm. and he just lets go. And you know, the wind itself is now driving them away from danger. And it's it's a beautiful parallel that you know, the more you try to gain control of a situation in a chaotic, the more you lose it. Yeah. Uh, the more you lose that control and the only way to actually survive is to embrace the chaos. Yeah. And again, a very powerful message for the character that, you know, shown very visually. And over here, I would like to address that I think the intelligence use of communicating the information visually rather than... uh, uh, exposition yeah, dialogue yeah. Mm-hmm. because I think the David Lynch film relied heavily on voiceover uh, yeah. for exposition but over here Dennis Villeneuve completely you know let's go of that decision and I think it was a very good decision to you know get rid of the voiceover completely and yeah. let visual narrative take the course and yeah. Yeah, you know for sure. tell the story forward and I really love you know I really like that part because not only it's telling the viewer uh, of what is happening, uh, you know, inside uh, the storm, but it's also telling what is happening inside Paul. Mm-hmm. He's realizing that in order to move forward in his journey, he has to let go of every sense of control yeah. that he knows. Just embrace and, the chaos and let it guide yeah, him. Basically. Yeah, and eventually they come out of the storm and they land and uh, uh, when they land they they land uh, towards uh, you know I think it was and yeah. they, they they change their costumes and uh, they move in that fashion which doesn't attract the worm but they end up attracting the worm the whole chase sequence where we see the warm uh, this this huge creature for the very first time and we see how big it is yeah and uh, we see that paul 
unafraid looks directly into this 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 huge worm and it seems that the worm he sort of subconsciously communicating with it because the worm doesn't attack attack yeah and it's, mm-hmm. yeah and it's unclear whether it, it's paul who is doing that or uh, you know the fremen that we later find out because one of the characters says that you know it wasn't him it was my thumper that you know sort of distracted uh, deviated, wow. distracted the worm and you know so khair in the next scene we see that uh, they are being uh, kind of like know, ambushed by the fremen ambushed yeah yeah they they being ambushed by the fremen and, and i think i think we are forgetting one um, important character that was actually introduced earlier in the film which is of uh, javier oh, bardem oh, yeah, yeah yeah why don't you talk about that character yeah basically i think the name was tilgar i think um, Javier Bardem's character is like the leader of the Fremen and he kind of comes and visits the duke uh, before of course he dies and he he the duke kind of assures him that he's not going to be like the previous um, people like the um, the Harkonnen and he wants everything to go you know he wants to work hand in hand with the Fremen and you know keep the peace and do what's best for both the parties and um Yeah so that was that that character the leader um is played by Javier Bardem and he you know he when he is meeting the duke he also kind of realizes when he looks at Paul that okay you know he might be the savior and he, I think he says a couple of things um in their language too right like we just kind of like read into that he knows that he's 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 the one basically and yeah. Uh, so yeah and it, like it, it's it's a very small scene of you know of him interacting with the duke and then he goes back and and you know come forward to this scene that's where we see him again and he's he's within that whole group that is trying to ambush um Paul and Jessica basically yeah 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 so yeah uh, and uh, over there we see that you know Jessica overpowers Javier Bardem's character and he realizes that you know he's not dealing with a fragile woman she is killed in combat and uh, that sort of uh, builds confidence and he invites Jessica and Paul to accompany him but one of his companions uh, the black guy yeah Jamis was his name and yeah go ahead go on No I was just saying that Jamis is also a very kind of a interesting and important character in the sense that we do see him in one of the visions that Paul has but in those visions he actually is like in one of the visions he's acting like a mentor to him and he's telling him what he needs to do and what he needs to be learning to survive and then later on he has another vision where he is the character of Paul is basically killed by Jamis. So we see that there are like two whole different scenarios that could play out, which again goes back to the different timelines, right? So uh, and just not knowing what's going to happen and just betraying the audience in that sense, you know, even the audience is not able to pick up that what exactly is the right vision, and it yeah. turns out to be none of those are right because <laughs> they have kind of like a 
duel. Jamis asks uh, Paul for a duel um, against him, and you know, because he doesn't want him to join the Fremen or you know be a part of uh, their house or be being taken back uh, to where they are. So yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, over here, I think it's very important to mention the edit of the film. That yeah. you know the the treatment of the edit is so beautifully done that mm-hmm. while we see uh, this very straightforward linear narrative going on, but there are chunks of these multiple realities which we see through Paul's visions, which is also giving us insight uh, into uh, like like we discussed White earlier man. that yeah. I mean, what may be, but you know, also used as a misdirection to the audience. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's also giving us insight into Paul's head. That yeah. you know, if somebody is perceiving reality in multiple, re- you know, multiple possibilities, then it's very difficult for that person to, you know, seek a sense of what is actually real. Yeah. And what is happening inside me? Uh, I mean, meri hakikat kya hai? Exactly. What, what, uh, what am I? And if I'm seeing things, then... Yeah, it's, it's not just the audience of... that's confused, basically. It's like what we yeah. are seeing is his vision. So even he is not sure what's going to happen or what is to happen, right? Because yeah. he's seeing multiple things. So he's as confused as the audience. So, yeah. 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 And this is this is actually a very good... Uh, you know, I really like this idea because even uh, even in you know in, even in religion, if we see yeah. that you know whenever divine information was being conveyed to prophets, mm-hmm. it wasn't exactly crystal clear. You clear know? enough, yeah. The, the information, the divine information, uh, always used to come in chunks. Mm-hmm. And it was only limited information for that limited time. So it's also the the concept of faith yeah. uh, that is very important. So over here, Paul is being tested. Paul is being, you know, he's questioning himself that, you know, um, you know, what is the next step forward? While at the same time, he has to be in that position of being a determined person who has to take care of his mother and himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's the conflict is i think very important to this narrative because all yeah. the people who 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 are put in that position of the messiah or the one or the savior and it's it's exactly like you know if you remember neo's character in the matrix yeah. he's not sure mm-hmm. if he's the one and at yeah, some it's, point it's never a straight path it's never a clear path yeah you, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, even he says that, you know, I'm a huge fan of The Matrix. And even mm-hmm. I think in the second one or the third one, he says that I, I don't even believe or I don't even care that if I'm the one. He's the first or not, one. Or, yeah, it's the first yeah. one. Yeah, it's, it's, it's just that he has to do what he has to do. Yeah. So I think Paul is sort of in a very similar situation that I think he... he Regardless of his doubt or regardless of his multiple, uh, you know, realities, I think 
he realizes that he has to move forward and this is very it becomes very clear when paul defeats janus in in the duel and he kills him with a chris knife yeah, yeah. And, and i think another thing to mention would be like this is the first time uh, paul's character actually meets uh chani that was the yeah. first time to actually get face to face is the same girl that he's yeah. been having the visions of and she's finally yeah. there so that's also yeah. like a, a momentous moment we like sur- surprisingly enough zindaya like she's she's a big actress and the total amount of screen time for her and this whole film was 7 minutes yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> i is, think would they, they save her character for the next one because... next one i think yeah that's what i've heard that she's going to be a bigger well uh, you know um probably even the like one of the main protagonists for the whole uh this part yeah. too but yeah go ahead um so he has yeah, this whole yeah. fight with jamison yeah he ends yeah. up defeating and him. this is the first time he ends up defeating him and this is the first time he's killed a someone being. yeah yeah someone uh and he kills uh shamus with a very sacred chris knife yeah and which is given to him by zendaya's character shani and uh, this is the knife he has been seeing in his visions as well visions so as well important mm-hmm. yeah it's so, an important yeah. narrative mm-hmm. device and uh, then uh, her eventually they are uh, accepted by the fremen as he has now defeated and uh, you know accepted as as an equal to them because jamus jamus was a you know very yeah. skilled warrior yeah everyone Paul, like everyone plays the odds against paul like it's like you're not going to survive yeah. so good luck with your last fight but yeah 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 so it's basically like no question ask ke iska to aaj aakhri din hai isko biryani khila do aur bas yeah in enjoy enjoy baat khatam to wahan se khair paul and his mother uh are now being accepted and they're now being taken into the desert and now we see the exact same shot of uh, shani looking, mm-hmm. looking back at paul and this is the exact same vision he has been having in his dreams yeah and i think the only that vision that actually happened yeah yeah and the mm-hmm. only vision that actually became a reality reality yeah uh, and now we see that you know the fremen actually uh, commute by riding these worms in the that was one of the most, one of the most kickass shots yeah. of the whole film it was a, such a powerful <laughs> shot where this guy is just riding this huge worm <laughs> it's like that's badass yeah but yeah 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 and uh, this is when he realizes that that's what his father was talking about desert power yeah they have to harness the power of the desert in order for houses treaties to mm. maintain you know the status quo on dune mm. and uh, this is where you know the film ends and you see them going off into the distance and probably going to one of the fremen hideouts hideouts yeah. and this is where the first part ends and uh, again it ends on a very high note not only yeah. visually also in terms of score and uh, everything you know, like that. i think i think as an audience member you 
end up wanting more and which is a brilliant thing where you know if, if a film ends at a point where the audience wants to see more right away it's like you've done mm-hmm. your job right people are already looking forward to the sequel and i think that's what he managed with the last few minutes of the film as well so i think that was like the, the perfect ending yeah, yeah perfect ending and i'm uh, i was you know even after the credits start rolling i was sitting in the cinema just completely overwhelmed by yeah. what i have just witnessed and witnessed, yeah, experienced you know and it's 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 and i haven't felt like that with any other film in a very long time in a long time yeah no i i get what you mean especially something of this magnitude right like i've i've seen in indie films and you know foreign films that have made me feel that way but something of this like something from hollywood and of this big of a budget that was something after a very long time i think something yeah. that's yeah made yeah. me feel and experience it's, it's, this yeah yeah and given that you know majority of the film post production happened during lockdown and covid mm-hmm. uh, i think that that's also a testament to how they got uh, you know a little more time uh, because i was watching the interview of the editor yeah. of the film and he said that you know when post production began uh, they were in lockdown and uh, dennis villeneuve uh, uh, worked with his you know long time collaborator editor i'm forgetting the name of the editor is the same guy who was uh, i mean who edited all of dennis's films and dennis oh, yeah. refuses to work with the editor and that was the first time they were not together uh, and dennis uh, and him sit in the same room and edit the film together and they discuss it and uh, uh in his interview he told that Dennis mentioned the film Dune when they were editing uh, Blade Runner and mm-hmm. uh, that's the first time Dennis mentioned that you know he's a huge fan of the novel and uh, he would like to adapt it and that's when he suggested that you know his editor should read the book and uh, you know and it's 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 a it's a very good interview for any filmmakers who are listening mm-hmm. to this podcast and i would also suggest to you that you should definitely check I out will, that definitely mujhe do send me I, the link i will i will i think it's it's mm-hmm. on the youtube channel of frame io frame okay. io is, okay. is a service uske uh, channel pe hai ye interview all right and um, it's such a brilliant interview because as a director myself i completely uh, you know related to it that because mm-hmm. i um, work with my same editor that mm-hmm. you know i work with and uh, it, the 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 bond of the director and the editor if you you know develop that bond because editing ek aisa process hai jahan pe mere khayal se film teen dafa banti hai the first version of the film is when you finish uh you know your screenplay mm. that's the first version of the film that you have made on paper yeah the second version of the film is when you shoot it yeah okay and the third and the final version of the film is when you edit it edit so it. yeah true in, mm-hmm. in each process you are actually developing and even you have the capability of changing things here and there because 
on the editing table you have the freedom of uh, you know really getting through to the core of the narrative and the core of mm-hmm. storytelling that what you actually want to say kya kahani batana kis tarah chahte hain kahani ka treatment kya hai and that is entirely dependent on the dynamic that you have with your editor how well do you understand he, he gets your vision yeah. Yeah. Uh, not just vision but the language you know main apne editor ke sath rehta hu sometimes there are times when i am thinking and he is doing what i am thinking As yeah yeah he's cutting yeah. what mm-hmm. i'm thinking and this is quite a rare uh, and a very valuable you know professional relationship that uh, yeah. if you build that relationship with an editor i think it's 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 quite amazing because this makes a lot of things easier for you because there is a lot of shorthand that is going on while you are editing the film and there are a lot of things that you want to, because aap jab editor ke sath baithe hote hain aur cheeze kat rahi hoti hain to aapka dimag bahut tezi se chal raha hota hai aur kai dafa agar aapka editor itna skilled nahi hai और उसका हाथ उतना तेजी से नहीं चल रहा जितनी तेजी से आपकी सोच चल रही है uh and i will never edit a film without i'm 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 really forgetting the name of the editor he's brilliant some uh, walker something i i think so i think so i i, I think i have uh, to look it up and uh, yeah joe walker joe walker yeah. and i think my lack of sleep is now kicking in <laughs> probably that getting his name so khair it's a brilliant interview anyone who wants to know more about uh, the editing treatment of uh, dune they should definitely watch it and anyone who who is just basically interested in how the process of uh, telling a story as complicated as dune i mean how is it treated in the editing room they should also look it up and uh, it's it gives you a very deep insight into how you know this process works right and yeah. this time he moved to the greg fraser who's also yeah. won awards or emmys for the mandalorian and he's also the cinematographer for the upcoming batman film so uh, what do you think about his um cinematography like how how well did you think uh, he captured because i thought like definitely i think the color palette for this film was a bit toned down from i guess the previous work of uh, denny so mm-hmm. i'm i just wanted to get insight on that from you like what did you think about the color palette and uh, the the cinematography um on its own basically yeah yeah, yeah. i think 
the cinematography is beautiful it's uh, it's very in a way it's very uh, narrative driven cinematography mm-hmm. uh, because you know it's not just beauty for the sake of beauty it's uh, mm-hmm. very if if i for lack of a better word it's a very functional approach to visual narrative that you you know you you're focusing on uh, you know showing things that are important for the story to move forward mm-hmm. and uh, i think uh, this is something that has been conveyed beautifully obviously it's shot on an epic scale yeah. uh, i i think they they used imax cameras for specific mm-hmm. shots and they and i think for the first time he also used like multiple camera units he's never done that yeah. before yeah so yeah 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 and i was uh, watching the making of the film and i think uh, for a couple of shots uh, that were on steady cam i think it was uh, if i'm not mistaken it was uh, alexa xt uh, or alexa uh, 65 which is yeah. i think large I- format mm mm-hmm. And I think so, it was the 65 yeah yeah 65 I think it was 65 mm-hmm. and uh, that is a large format uh, cinema camera which gives you obviously a much bigger resolution frame which uh, you know if you're shooting alongside IMAX it sort of gives you that leverage of uh, at least uh, on a bigger format that you know mm-hmm. you can show much much more that is capable of cameras that are not capable of shooting in that format format yeah so yeah, uh i absolutely loved the cinematography because majority of the you know the narrative is being driven by the visual and yeah, uh, sure. the palette like you mentioned it's very uh, it's on much more on the warmer tones towards the yeah, yellow which makes sense yeah considering which makes sense because they yeah. they're in a desert and mm-hmm. uh, but before that it's the color palette is uh, almost uh, uh, slightly cooler if mm-hmm. not neutral when they on caladan yeah and uh, and you know each planet has a very distinct color palette color palette you know, the hardcore mm-hmm. is mostly blacks and grays and you know it's uh, uh yeah. it's, it's just this dark combination of the visuals and the music and everything it just comes together so beautifully i think that's that's the the best thing about this film i think yeah and it it's also the cinematography is also complemented by a very organic production design because yes yes you know you you don't see a lot of uh, very alien looking yeah environments you you see environments that are very uh you know native to planet earth exactly it's very earth like yeah it's very raw and it's very real looking film True. which is the best yeah. thing i like about you know dune that it's something mm-hmm. that you do not feel that uh you know you're being invited to a world which looks very familiar yeah. to yours 
it's, but at the same time it's an alien world yeah world. even though even though they're traveling intergalactic i think we still feel like they just traveled from like iceland to uh, dubai <laughs> that's that's yeah. what it feels like it's it's yeah it, it feels very earth like which is great yeah yeah um, yeah i think he shot the uh, caledon in norway planet caledon yes, yes. Is... norway and i think the the the, the deserts are uh, Jordan and Dubai I think Wadi, Wadi Rum and uh, in Abu Dhabi actually uh, mm-hmm. so those are the two desert that um with Mulya yeah. Shah yeah and uh, you know uh, I was watching Dennis's interview that he said that he wanted to you know shoot most of the stuff in camera and mm-hmm. I think that's that is a great approach to go that you do not rely heavily on CGI. CGI, so yeah. There is a lot of minimal, yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's very intelligent use of CGI, whereas most of it is very invisible CGI. Mm-hmm. It's not mm-hmm. too much attention to it. It's not drawing, uh, you know, it's not very obvious CGI, yeah. which is something really, really liked. And I think that's the same approach to makeup as well. Even though, True. you mm-hmm. know, there is heavy makeup in the film, especially with all the Harkonnens and you know, mm-hmm. all the, mm-hmm. the Baron. soldiers, the, yeah. you know, the, the emperor, but, uh, you know, uh, you know, you rarely get to see it. It's very subtle and it's very invisible, mm-hmm. which is a very difficult makeup to pull off on screen. Yeah, it looks very organic. Yeah. It's, it's very, yeah. Very organic. Mm-hmm. And overall, I think the overall feel of the film is that, you know, you're inviting the viewers to this world, which seems very familiar, but at the same time, it's it's not what you know of. Yeah, so that is something that I really enjoyed, and I'm really really looking forward to the second part of the film. Yeah, and same here. Same here. It's, it's definitely caught my attention. Like as I said, you know, as the as the credits rolled, I was like ready for part two. <laughs> to be honest, I was like. Give it to me, but yeah, it was yeah. so well done, and definitely looking forward. I think it's supposed to release in two thousand twenty-three, so not too far away. Yeah. Not and, too far away. Yeah, and I've also started reading the book, and uh, I'm also actually excited to read the book. And actually, this is the first time a film has instigated me to read a book. Otherwise, usually it's the other way around. The yeah. film. It's the other way around. They they do not live up to the you know the the excellence. Excellent, yeah, of the book. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I think the other movie that made me do that was uh, The Exorcist. Hmm. I watched the film first, and then I went down and read the book. So yeah, but the but the book? yeah. Hmm. How's the book, The Exorcist? Oh, it's really good. It's uh, yeah, it's amazing. It's definitely worth read, like especially if you've seen the film. Yeah, you you would love the book. Of course, you know as you said, the book always has more to it. You you can only capture so much within you know the time limit of of a movie. But yeah, yeah the book was amazing. Yeah, 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 and before we wrap it up, I just want to say that I know there are a lot of people who might be, you know, who will be listening to this episode that you know there are a lot of differences between the book and the movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, you cannot wrap up such huge 
fantasy landscape and even though by conventional standards dune is a pretty you know long film i think to ghante ki film hai yeah it's it's a so, long film it's a long film which is for a studio film of this budget it's quite unconventional yeah uh, but uh, i think dennis villeneuve did a brilliant job he knew that he could not uh, you know uh, put all of whatever is in the book but uh, whoever has uh, read the books and watched the film they all say that he has done justice to what was the important part of uh, you know the book and the story so mm. i think that that is something also worth uh, you know mentioning that even though you could not put everything into the film but the the stuff that he did manage to put into the film was uh done very you know you know it's very near to the vision of uh, yeah. frank herbert frank herbert yeah, yeah that's i agreed yeah this was this was a much needed discussion for sure i know you've been wanting to do this too and i was really excited oh, and, and uh, i'm glad we did yeah, this yeah yeah same here and i think we should do more of it absolutely yeah. it's not going to be a year this be, time <laughs> no 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 definitely not going to be a year and uh, in fact uh, if if we pick it up pick it up regularly uh, you know hopefully the next time we do it i'm not exhausted and we <laughs> can do a video video call and absolutely uh, something that i would like to make a regular occurrence because it's always a pleasure talking to you and uh, thank you for having Oh, absolutely and looking forward to more of this and absolutely. anyone who hasn't seen the film uh, please watch you the film watch it. it's still in, running in theaters in yeah. theaters wherever you are uh, and because it's not a film that you want to watch on your television mm-hmm. uh, it, it's meant to be seen in cinemas it's meant to be seen on a bigger screen with proper sound system and uh, it's it's the film that actually you know initiated the revival uh, of uh, bringing people back to cinema yeah, post lockdown or world post pandemic and uh, whoever is listening please please watch the film in cinema absolutely agreed you won't regret it yes <laughs> But yeah, we'll we'll definitely be talking about more stuff. I know there's a quite a few good films coming out soon, so we'll definitely hop back on for all that. But thank you so much again for I taking out the time, and this was a lot of fun. And I hope the listeners have uh, a great time listening to yeah, just go on about this amazing film. And um, until next time, take care. Take care.